Well, awesome. Well, let's talk about that. Are we really made to sometimes do life while our back is on the mat? Maybe this name doesn't mean anything to you, but Josh Waitzkin. You may recognize him. He was a chess prodigy. He was known for the movie based on his life, The Search for Bobby Fischer. He was a grandmaster at chess, and after championing chess, he went on to champion jiu-jitsu. And in doing so, he became a national champion in fights all across the United States. And he began to look at the different disciplines and techniques that one could use to apply to any area of life whether it's chess and the strategy of that or the strategy of fighting and jiu-jitsu and the physical aspects. As I was reading about him and learning about him, he's got a great quote that I think applies to any area of our life. He says, one, one thing I've learned about as a competitor is that there is a distinction, a clear distinction, between what it takes to be decent, I'm barely decent at this, Two, what it takes to be good, what it takes to be great, and what it takes to be among the best. And as he achieved and accomplished in his life, one day he was asked by a, a news reporter, what's the most important thing you've learned in jiu-jitsu that's made you the champion you are today? He said, without a doubt, it's a humiliating loss early in my career. That's the most important thing. He says, without a doubt. I was thrown on my back. And I got humiliated. And like, well, why was that? And here's the quote he said. He said, here's what he learned. The moment we believe that success is determined by an ingrained level of ability. I'm just special. I just got it. I'm just born with it. Not things you have to learn, not things you have to work at, not things you have to incorporate. If you just think you got it, hey, I'm a chess master, of course I'm going to win. Hey, I've won a few matches, I'm good at this, i got natural ability. The minute you think that your strengths come from an ingrained ability, you will be brittle in the face of adversity. Because however special you think you are, life will hit you in the face. There's a researcher that was studying his perspective, and they talked about the difference between a a growth mindset, and a fixed mindset. A fixed mindset says, listen, I have what I have and no more. I'm up against whatever I'm up and I can't do anything about it. The fixed mindset. And the fixed mindset always sees energy as negative. i got to put more energy into this. Oh, I can't believe I have to do this. Oh, I can't believe how hard this is. A growth mindset always sees energy as positive. Yep, I got some skills, I got some talents, but I'm going to grow by putting more energy in. And to put more energy into this to be the best will help me grow. It's a positive mindset. And what we're going to find is that that positive mindset, the ability to grow through whatever you're facing, whatever obstacles are around you, is what can make you a winner for life. And the masters know how to fight with their back on the mat. They fight on their backs. And as Marty showed you, you come at a master, you try and grab their feet from underneath them, you push them down, I mean, they're like ready to go. I mean, they are ready for that. In fact, they have got so many strategies on their back, they can't wait for you to put them on their back. And Jesus, we're going to see, he is a master at besting the best around him. 
We're going to see in one chapter, say in one incident, he's got on this side, the Romans are about to kill him if he says something wrong. Over here is a crowd that is going to turn against if he says the wrong thing. He's got four groups about to ambush him. The Herodians, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes. And these are the best of the best. The best political elites. I know it sounds like an oxymoron, but they were. The best business people of the day the best intellectuals of the day, and the best lawyers of the day. They're all coming at Jesus at one time. You talk about being potentially overwhelmed. And Jesus is going to use three jiu-jitsu techniques that he just masters to best the best of his opponents. So what are those three, and how can we apply them to our life? Well, number one, the first jiu-jitsu technique is on your back can be the best place to fight if you're prepared. And like I said, I, I don't pretend to even be a novice at this. But what I've been learning, and what you saw in that video earlier, is that when I got my feet swooped up and I'm on my back, when Marty comes in to grab me, he told me to slide my arm up past his elbow. So now my elbow is right here on him. So when I start pushing my arm across his chest, I am basically turned this arm into a crowbar, and I'm basically crowbarring this part of his arm, and he suddenly has to tap out or I'm going to break his arm. A second ago, it looks like he's dominating me. Imagine you get thrown on your back. Your instinct is, hold your breath. Oh, my goodness. They're going to kill me. But what if when you got on your back, you went, oh, I know 100 things to do. I can't wait for you to get me on my back. You think you're going to dominate me? Grab the arm. Grab your chest down. Now you can't move. I got this arm caught. I got your head down. I'm going to break this arm if you don't stop. You can fight on your back. It can be the best place to fight if you're prepared. So as Jesus is in this encounter, the first group to come after him are called the Herodians. Now the Herodians is because there was a king in those days named Herod. And this group had kind of taken religion and politics and blended them together. I know our culture doesn't do that, but imagine uh, blending uh, religion and politics. So they actually called their religion the Herodians because they followed Herod. And they've decided they have got a master trap to not only put Jesus on his, on his heels, but to get him slaughtered. So here's what they do. They actually decide to ask him about taxes. Now, if he says no to taxes, the Romans are going to kill him for, for not supporting the government. If he says yes to taxes, the people are going to kill him because they hate the taxes that the Romans are imposing upon them. So they have got this master. They've been thinking about this attack. They've been thinking about how to put Jesus on the spot in public, in an environment that he's going to get killed one way or another. There's no way out. And what is amazing is the mindfulness Jesus has. He doesn't seem stressed. He doesn't seem to be on his heels at all. They throw him seemingly on his back, and he is, like, prepared for this. He is, like, ready to go. There's no anxiety, no hippocampus going on. Reminds me, a buddy of mine was uh, training with Navy SEALs and other military. And he said, one of the things that we teach is that right before you go in for an attack, you've reviewed your tactics, you've gone over the plan, you know who the bad guys are. But just before the moment that you're about to go in, your adrenaline starts pumping, right? Because you know what's about to happen. And your mind starts racing and your heart starts pounding. And at that moment, when everything about your body is going fast, 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 you've got to go slow. Slow down your heartbeat. 
Slow down your mindset because you want to engage the upper part of your brain, the rational part of your brain, not the hippocampus reactive side of your brain. So you're actually taking your mind to engage your body. As one writer said, slow is smooth, but smooth is fast. You want to be mindful enough that you are choosing what you're doing, not reacting to what you're doing. And Jesus is amazing at this. So the Herodians got him trapped between the crowd and the Romans. And they know this is the end of Jesus. They've been working on this attack for a while. So Jesus, should we pay taxes? Jesus says, well, tell you what, give me one of those coins. He looks at the coin. Like, What's he going to do? He's going to get killed by the crowd of the Romans. He said, whose image is on this thing? And of course, like all... Uh, governments, they put the faces of the leaders. This guy had a, Caesar had his own face on that. So Jesus says, whose face is on this? Caesar's. Well, why don't you give Caesar back what's Caesar's? But why don't you give God back what's God's? That's, I'm not sure you answered the question. I guess you answered the question. Jesus says, you know, God put his impression upon you, whether you're Roman, Greek, or Jewish, your creator put his impression on you, and he wants you to live your life by giving back to him what is his, your own life. And what's amazing here is, is, is the Herodians are like, this is going to kill him. Oh, man. Not only does Jesus not take the attack, it's like they throw a roundhouse at him. But instead of Jesus backing off from the roundhouse, he just kind of steps in, grabs the roundhouse, and they're standing there like a flamingo with one foot, and then he does a leg sweep. <laughs> So, it's what in jiu-jitsu they call the difference between evading when you push somebody away and invade, you invade their space. Jesus steps into the question and he turns it around, stops the strike, flips it around and says there's a greater issue here. Rendering unto God what is God's. So you can fight from your back if you're prepared. And Jesus humiliates people who exalted themselves. They thought they were so smart. They thought they were so prepared. They thought there was no way out of this. And they suddenly, those who exalted themselves, get humiliated. Second jujitsu technique. The second technique we see Jesus use is just unbelievable, is that you need to know your opponent's moves better than they do. Intellectually, know their arguments, know their strengths, know their weaknesses. If you're in sales, you know your benefits and your downside. You know your, your competitors' upside and downside. You know your opponent's moves better than they do. And you are prepared with a battery of countermeasurements. If they do this, I'll do that. If they do this, I'll do that. If they do this, I'll do that. So you're never on your heels. You've prepared for all the potential challenges. It's interesting, a couple... Years ago, I got a chance to interview one of the top MMA fighters in the country right here at Horizon. His name is Boss Rudin. So Boss was here, and he began to describe how he became the MMA champion. And so I took him out to lunch and got a chance to chat with him a little bit more. And he said one of the things that made him one of the best is he just was willing to work and work and work to study, study, study all of the potential moves of all of his uh, opponents. He said he used to put three-by-five cards up all over the house. And literally, he would just walk up to that place in the house, and he'd stop for a second. He'd memorize all the different moves that had to be done in what order in order to get that move done. And if this happens, I do this. And just three by five cards everywhere as he was constantly practicing move, counter, move, move, counter, move. And sometimes he was inventing stuff. 
he told me his wife is a saint because he'd say, honey, come here, come here, come here. If I do this and this and this and this, what hurts? It hurts right here, it hurts right here. What if I do this? It hurts right here. He was studying potential moves and counterpoints so that he would understand the moves of his opponents better than they did. And he then had a battery of countermeasures. Now I want you to notice here, Jesus, he knows the moves of his opponents better than they do. So after humiliating the Herodians, the next group that comes after him are the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees are some of the best business people in the country. They are one percenters. But one of the reasons they become one percenters is that they have actually kind of got in bed with the government and set up a monopoly. So like you have to have sheep for sacrifice, you have to have sheep uh, for wool. And so they made a monopoly that the only sheep that are qualified as kosher are Sadducees sheep. So they kind of manipulate the whole system. And they are the elites of the day, they are the, the intellectuals of the day, they are the business people of the day. And they would call themselves religious, but in a very liberal way. They, they, you know, we, we believe in Torah, but we don't take it seriously. We, we don't believe in things like resurrection. We don't believe the miracles really happened. In fact, we're, we're kind of no better than people like that. So they had this phrase they loved to use. They would say, we are from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We believe in the Bible, but we don't take it too seriously. We don't take it literally. Let's not get carried away. But kind of a phrase they would use all the time is, we are of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they come to Jesus, who does believe in resurrection, and they have been mocking his views for years. They have been mocking people like his views for years, and they have laughed about it, and they have mocked it, and now it's a chance to face somebody face-to-face who's got a stupid view that there's a resurrection after you die. So they have created this hypothetical to trap Jesus. <laughs> so they show up. And uh, again, they know this is an insurmountable an attack because they've laughed about it with all their intellectual friends. They say, hey, teacher, Moses told us that if a man dies and his wife is left, and if a brother who's single is still alive, she should marry him. And that was kind of part of the law in those days to protect the family line that you were to keep the family going because that was how you provide for each other, et cetera. So that's what Moses had said. So there's a woman whose husband dies, and the next brother is single, so she marries the brother. And that brother dies. Well, sure enough, thank goodness they had a lot of sons, so she marries the third brother, and he dies. So she marries a fourth brother. Now, at this point, what are you thinking? I'm thinking, stop marrying the assassin, right? I mean, like, what are you doing? What is this, like, poisoning you? This lady's like a black widow. She, 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 she beds you, and then she eats you. I don't know. So, so it keeps going. The riddle goes, fourth husband, fifth husband, sixth husband. He ends up, she's killed off seven husbands, or seven husbands have died. And so then they turn to him and say, all right, so, question. Therefore, in the resurrection that you believe in Jesus, whose wife of the seven will she be? So they all had her. See, ridiculous. The resurrection is ridiculous. And you think Jesus is like, whoa, I never thought of that. Jesus, again, he's never on his heels. Even when he's on his back, he's not on his heels. He turns with such mindfulness, he's like, he's not intimidated by the best arguments. He's not intimidated by the most elite, powerful people in the country. He says, you're mistaken. You know what? You don't know the scriptures. They thought they were experts on the scriptures. You don't know the scriptures. And you don't know the power of God. The Bible doesn't say that, that there's marriage in heaven. 
We get raised, but the kind of intimacy you have with God and the kind of intimacy you have with everybody, it's just even a higher plane than marriage. Which, by the way, is an example of why you might want to consider Christianity. What sounds like a man-made religion? You die, you get 40 virgins. Hmm, what the virgins do wrong? Or two, there's a higher plane a higher type of love when you get to heaven, marriage is awesome, sex is awesome, but there's something that even transcends all of that. That doesn't sound like a man-made religion, does it? So Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. And then he turns, I told you, the main point here is that he knows their arguments better than them. Remember that phrase they used to walk around saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I don't take it too seriously. Jesus says, by the way, concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that phrase you say all the time? I am the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Jacob. You say all the time, you are of the God, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but the living. You guys talk about resurrection all the time in the very phrase you talk about yourself. He knows their arguments better than them. He can quote them better than they know themselves. And all of a sudden, this attack they thought was going to pulverize them, they are flipped over and on their back like, what happened? What just happened here? He quoted our verse to make his point. He quoted our, our motto to make his point. We need to get a new motto. Jesus knows their arguments and moves better than they do and has a battery of countermeasures. I got to see uh, uh, the turnaround expert at Ford, Alan uh, Malali, get interviewed a couple years ago. <laughs> I got to see him jiu-jitsu in an incredible way. So he had been the CEO of, uh, of Boeing, and he got recruited to do a turnaround of, of Ford. So he comes to Detroit, and they are not happy to see him. He's got no experience in the car industry, and the reporters that surround him just kind of have that typical snub, we know better than you, welcome to Detroit, let me put you in your place kind of attitude. And so Alan steps up, having moved from Boeing, which he loved, to taking this job because he thinks he could make a difference. One of the reporters from Detroit's like, Mr. Mullally, what makes you think you're qualified to run a car company when you've never been in the car business? You think you'd take a breath or step back in your heels? Alan leans in then and says, well... The average Ford car has 30,000 parts. He knows their arguments better than they do. The average Boeing that I've been working with for the last couple decades has six million parts. And that thing's got to stay in the air. News reporter's like, okay, thank you very much. I mean, just, he went from thinking he had him to like, okay, just jujitsu that thing and shut him down. I know how much parts it takes to make a car, and what I've done is far more complicated. I'm going to translate this over. He did this incredible turnaround. Know the arguments and the attacks of your opponents better than they do and have a battery of countermeasures. Which brings the third jiu-jitsu principle, which is that controlling power is better than increasing power. Often when you think in something, if I just need to get stronger, I need more, more, and more, I need to be harder, harder, harder. But actually being able to control a little bit of power is better than having a lot of power. 
So when I was in high school, I was a 110 high hurdler. So back in the time, I could get my leg all the way up to my, uh, up to my uh, nose because I was a 110 high hurdler and I was a select soccer player. So I had a buddy of mine who um, was a brown belt in Taekwondo and he used to spar with me. And I wasn't particularly great, but I was okay and we had fun doing it together and I learned a little. Well, because I'm a soccer player, you know, if I want to put more power on the ball, I'm going to put more power on the ball. More power is more power. And so when we would spar, you know, he had the ability to, you know, have power, but it was very controlled. So he could get close to me, but not actually damage me. Well, when I'm fighting him, I don't know how to control my power. I just have it. So I'm swinging and kicking, and, and, and he's like, man, you got to stop kicking so hard. I'm like, I don't know how. I just, I, how I kick the soccer ball. So he came to visit me in college, and we took all the mattresses out of our beds, everyone on the same floor. We took all our mattresses into the lounge, which is the center room, and we created this giant padded room, and we just all came together and we're sparring together. And as I'm sparring, I'm swinging and kicking. He's like, you got to stop. you got to get control of your power. I'm like, well, I can't. This is how I spar. So he starts using what are called elbow, uh, elbow blocks. Oh. So when I come at him with a swing and, and my instep's coming up, he comes down with his elbow, boom, right into my instep. Oh, I mean, I am getting, I get these little marks of bruises. And I realize his little bit of controlled power is far more powerful than my swing. Oh, just a little bit of control. And often we just think more is better. But controlling, controlling your mindset when, when you're, when you're, thrown up against the mat, can you control your mindset? Can you not be panicked? Can you expect that this is going to happen? And here's what I do when this happens. So Jesus has now humiliated the, the, the Sadducees. They exalted themselves. Jesus humbles them. He, he, the, the Herodians exalted themselves. Jesus humbles them. So now a group of lawyers shows up. Sometimes they're called scribes. They're kind of a mixture of Pharisees and scribes. But a lawyer shows up and he has lectured all over the, the, the country on, on the law of God. And he is an expert's expert on the subject. And he knows he's going to humiliate Jesus in front of everybody. He is the expert here. <laughs> so the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. So they gather together and they get their top lawyer. And they say, oh, ask him this question. So they test him saying, hey, teacher. Of all the commandments in the Bible, think of all the commandments in the Bible, the Ten Commandments and you know, 618 other commandments and then all the other things that are written. What's the greatest commandment in the law? Whatever he says, somebody's going to argue about it because it's going to be, well, well, why wasn't it this one? And if you think that, then why wasn't it this one? And, and this lawyer has probably lectured for 20 hours on this subject. Well, what we need to realize is you can never know what the greatest is. It could be this or it could be that. It could be this. So, again, he's, he's going to show Jesus to be intellectually inferior because he's not as learned as the, the lawyers and the Pharisees of the day. But Jesus, again, despite going up against an expert lawyer, a scholar, scholar, an intellectual, intellectual. Jesus is not in one second on his heels. I've thought a lot about this. You want to know what the greatest commandment is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's the Shema out of Deuteronomy 6. And then he reaches over and grabs a verse out of Leviticus and says, oh, and by the way, love your neighbors yourself. Every verse you've ever heard, everything you've ever heard in the Bible comes down to love God, love others. Wasn't a big, long speech. Jesus had the ability to take complex things and make them simple. He doesn't need more and more and more. I need to, Jesus doesn't need to impress anybody. He doesn't need to prove anything. He says, hey, that's a great question. I've thought a lot about that. He's not on his heels at all. You love God and you love others. And everybody's like, huh. Yeah, I guess it all does come down to loving God and loving others. They're just struck at this. So I was talking to Marty. 
I said, what strikes you most about Jesus, having become a follower of him four or five years ago? He said, there's a phrase we use in jiu-jitsu, cold-blooded calm. When you are under opposition, when you are under attack, and you can keep yourself calm enough to engage that rational part, to engage those strategies and those countermeasures, it's just hard to do. Especially when you get blasted and, and you didn't see it coming. It is hard to recover. Jesus has a cold-blooded calm in the face of adversity. And one example we talked about this week, I was talking to Marty, is the example with Pilate. Now, Pilate is a Roman commander. He has killed tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in his career. We have lots of evidence in the historical record from Josephus and archaeology to just how dangerous this guy was. Jesus has come to Jerusalem to take on death. He's predicted it. He's told people about it. He's prepared for three years saying, I'm eventually coming to Jerusalem for the fight of fights. I'm taking on the grim reaper himself. He arrives there standing before this warrior in Pilate. And Pilate's looking at him like, I don't think I'm getting the respect that I really need or deserve. And he turns to Jesus and says, are you not speaking to me? What are you giving me, the silent treatment? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you? And if you don't know about crucifixion, the Romans invented crucifixion as the most medieval torture device. The goal is not to kill you. It's to make you suffer as long as possible in the most painful way as possible. It's the worst possible way to die. It was designed for that. He's like, do you know how much power I have over you, Jesus? I have the power to stop you from being crucified. I even have the power to release you. And Jesus looks at this guy, powering up with how important he is, towering over Jesus. Do you realize who I am? And Jesus is like, you know, you could have no power except that my dad gave it to you from above. Now that's cold-blooded calm. More than that, think of it this way. A prize fighter has been training for, for nine months for the big fight. He shows up. And the week before, the day before the big fight that he's been preparing for for three years, nine months, he shows up and the manager of the opponent comes up and says, tell you what, you pay me off, you don't have to fight my fighter. Jesus is like, I came here for this. Why would I want you to release me? Why would I want you not to crucify me? I have been preparing for this moment for three years, my whole life. I don't want to be released. I don't want to not be crucified. I have come here to take on the ultimate competitor, the ultimate grim reaper, the grim reaper himself, and I am going to show you that I can defeat the undefeatable. So no, I'm not impressed by your power. I know what I'm about. And Marty said to me, he said, you know, when you decide you're going to fight, it doesn't matter what the other person is doing. You've made a mental decision. I'm going to battle here. I'm going to give out punishment, and I'm going to take punishment. That's what Jesus is here. I'm here to take on the Grim Reaper. And history records that whether it's the Romans, whether it's the forces of evil, whatever you want to call it, they thought they had Jesus pinned at his crucifixion. At the moment you think you got him on his back, it's when he most has control. If you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg has been uh, training in jiu-jitsu. He's uh, kind of going around the internet as he and Mark uh, and Tesla guy uh, are, are going to be uh, having a big fight. 
<laughs> well, I would not compete with somebody who's been trained in jiu-jitsu. Here's what uh, Zuckerman's jiu-jitsu coach says about him. Mark is extremely hard worker, as everyone knows. A lot of people have a business and they're successful, and rarely do they dip into the physical side, especially with something like jiu-jitsu or MMA, and, and have the same amount of success. Or some of them don't even last a, a day or even a month. He excels. He's one of the best students I've ever had. And look at how he's willing to be humbled. That's what makes him good. I'm $80 billion. I don't have to put up with that. That's how much I'm worth. He's willing to be humbled so that he can be exalted. And that's why Jesus brings all this back together. He says, guys, you've got to leverage the power of submission holds. You want to be the greatest? You've got to be a servant. When you exalt yourself like the Herodians, <laughs> you get humiliated like I did. You exalt yourself like the Sadducees, you get humiliated. I know, the, I know your, the, your book better than you know your book. You think you're going to outsmart me by lecturing for 20 hours about the greatest commandments? <laughs> exalt yourself, you're going to get humiliated. But if you humble yourself, if you learn the power of submission, you'll be exalted. Let me give you an example of that. So jiu-jitsu has a lot of examples of that, and I've given you a few. So take, for example, here's, here's our opponent. So I asked several staff members to be part of this. You know, Ryan, you want to be my partner? No. Drew, you want to be my partner? So I'm going to call this guy Andrew. Andrew. Andrew didn't want to do it. So Andrew didn't want to do it. Andrew, my opponent, comes at me, right? So he sweeps me off, and he's now got me on my back, all right? So the power of submission holds is when I'm on my back, I'm not holding my breath. I'm not like, what am I going to do here? I'm prepared for this, which is I can fight on my back. So when somebody comes at you, you got a leg hold. You can lock your legs, a squeeze. And now from here, I can move somebody back or forward. I'm actually in control, even though it looks like they're in the dominant position. I'm in the position of humility, but I'm in control. And the closer they get to me, the more control I have. So, for example, as they come at me, there's another type of leg lock where your foot goes up and you put your, your foot in this foot and then you squeeze down. So now you've got a double lock on them. See that? You can do the same thing with your arms. This guy's trying to punch you. So you come at here, and now you're holding them down. you got this arm down, and you're holding their arm. It's another lock or submission hold. And then if they get their hand up here to try and punch you, you go around here, and now i got two arms pushing down on this hold. If the arm gets loose, I can come out here, and I can do another crowbar, and now i got two arms holding them down. These are all unique positions that can be done when you've got your back on the mat. The power of submission holds. The person tries to get loose, or I push him back for a second, I bring my leg up, and all of a sudden, I've got him in a, in a leg lock. All of these are different moves that are powerful when you're in the position of having your back on the mat. And Jesus says, do not lose the power of humility. When God tells you, or when life kicks you onto your back, and you think, oh my goodness, there's no way out of this. That is the very time at which he can elevate you. He can teach you. There are things that life comes your way that when you learn to leverage the power of submission in your life, submission holds in your life, you find that's where you learn and grow the most. Let me give you an example of somebody who was an incredible example of this for me. It's my friend Justin. Justin He's been coming here for many years. In fact, his family started attending because they saw our building. And Stacy turned to Justin one day and said, hey, 
uh, their, their daughter Varen was in the back and said, hey, could we try church? And Varen says, what's church? Been, oh, I guess we've been at church for longer than we thought. So they came in our doors. And Justin was a, just a super fun guy, life of the party, not big on spirituality, but boy, just great to be around. They came in our doors and he left that day and he said, man, I like that. I didn't feel super guilty, but I learned something. I didn't make me feel stupid. And then it made me want to learn more. So he kept coming for several years. And when he was about 35, he started to kind of get serious about God and Jesus and seeing this way of Jesus could be something important in his life. It's that when he was diagnosed with ALS and was given three or four years to, to live. It was during that time I got to see a guy with his back on the mat who began to grow an unbelievable faith. By the time I continued to, to text back and forth with him, he could only communicate with his eyes on his keyboard and we would text back and forth. And he said, Chad, I just, I, I don't, I can't believe I ignored God for so long. It took me getting my back on the mat to find out what really matters. He goes, I'm not mad at God. I'm like, oh, I'm mad at God for you. He says, I have learned what really matters in this position. I'm like, whoa. Because he's a big hockey fan, big hockey fan he's like, Chad, I'm going to be dying soon. He actually died a month ago. He says, I want you to do a hockey funeral for me. Can you do that? I said, sure. I do them all the time. So we invented a hockey funeral. And it was the most incredible service. This is actually his daughter and her team of hockey players who came up to the open casket with their hockey sticks and got to honor their dad who showed unbelievable courage and fortitude and wisdom and joy when he had his back on the mat. A bunch of buddies he's played hockey with in his 20s and 30s. They wanted to, to honor him as well, so I had them stand at each side of the aisle, and they, they took their hockey sticks, and we made a giant archway for the family to go through. And we talked about over his years, Justin said that he found faith in Jesus. And the faith of Jesus is that Jesus does not only talk about resurrection, he proved resurrection. And his new body came back, and he says, I will do for you what I did for myself, a body that's decaying, a body that's dying, a body that doesn't do what it's supposed to do. I'll give you a brand new body. And Justin put his confidence in Jesus' resurrection. And he says, I know for sure where I'm going when I die. One of the last texts he sent me, he said, Chad, there's a song that has just really touched me. It's by Jelly Roll. And it's called, The Lord, I Need a Favor. He goes, it's really exactly how I feel. I feel like I just, I ignored God for many years. I didn't prioritize God for many years. And he said, you know, just like the song says, who the hell am I to come to God because I need something now? Why would he listen to me? He said, but this song, I have found that God does still care about me. And even though I don't deserve it, and I didn't do the right thing for a long time, I have found a God who loves me and gives me hope and confidence. So I told Justin, I said, we will do that song at church. And we'd schedule it three months ago for today. So I'm going to invite the band to come out, and I want you to hear the words, because it goes back to what I said, leveraging the power of submission holds. It's saying, God, listen, I haven't lived the way I should have lived. I haven't done the things I should have done. I've only come to you when I need a favor. But God, if you'll have me, I will humble myself and ask you to exalt me 
to forgiveness, exalt me to, to live my life the way I should, exalt me to one day get a brand new body when I come face to face with the Grim Reaper because I saw you rip the head off the Grim Reaper 2,000 years ago, and I'm not going to trust my good deeds to take on the, good, the, the Grim Reaper. I'm going to trust the guy who tortured and, and, and put punishment in the face of the Grim Reaper. I'm going to trust him to take death for me. And this expression of humility, man, who the hell am I to think that God would love me? But God says, if you will reach out to him, if you will humble yourself, he will draw near to you. You know, Stacy Justin's wife couldn't be here today, but I know she's watching online. So Stacy, uh, thanks for your example and thanks for, uh, you know, sharing Justin with us. It was amazing because a uh, big concert, who was the big concert this weekend or two weekends ago? Lady, very famous that I don't listen to. Taylor Swift. All right, Taylor Swift. Yeah, I know, I'm getting old. You know, Justin just continued, even during that year he had on his back, he continued to plan out how to influence his daughter for the next decade. And so uh, a couple weeks after his death, he had surprise tickets for that concert, and he made uh, a molding of his hands and her hands uh, that she would always be in his hands, and he's planned at her high school graduation. He's found ways to take the time he had and influence people around him. That's the power of leveraging submission holds. Just because you're on your back might be the time you get exalted. Thanks for being here. Two things I want to remind you about. If you want to get connected around here, um, we have a group of women who are going to be looking at an incredible piece of art called Captivated. Chance to see some great art, but mostly meet some people at the church. Kind of have a little bit more connection besides this big room. Three of those coming up, July, August, and September. Also, two weeks from now, right after the 830 service and right after the 945 service. So show up just a little before this. There's a Coffee and Connect up in, our, uh, up in our atrium area up there when you come into the right. Great chance to connect with people. Help us know how we can serve you. Thanks for being here. See you next week for Jesus Jiu-Jitsu Part 3.